Chapter thirteen of Elective Affinities. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Elective Affinities by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Chapter thirteen. Edward, on his part, was in a very different temper. So little he thought of sleeping that it did not once occur to him even to undress himself. A thousand times he kissed the transcript of the document but it was the beginning of it in Ottilie's childish, timid hand. The end he scarcely dared to kiss, for he thought it was his own hand which he saw. Oh, that it were another document, he whispered to himself, and as it was he felt it was the sweetest assurance that his highest wish would be fulfilled. Thus it remained in his hands, thus he continued to press it to his heart, although disfigured by a third name subscribed to it. The waning moon rose up over the wood, the warmth of the night drew Edward out into the free air. He wandered this way and that way. He was at once the most restless and the happiest of mortals. He strayed through the gardens. They seemed too narrow for him. He hurried out into the park, and it was too wide. He was drawn back toward the castle. He stood under Ottilie's window. He threw himself down on the steps of the terrace below. Walls and bolts, he said to himself, may still divide us, but our hearts are not divided. If she were here before me, into my arms she would fall, and I into hers. And what can one desire but that sweet certainty? All was stillness round him, not a breath was moving. So still it was, that he could hear the unresting creatures underground at their work, to whom day or night are alike. He abandoned himself to his delicious dreams. At last he fell asleep, and did not wake till the sun with his royal beams was mounting up in the sky, and scattering the early mists. He found himself the first person awake on his domain. The labourers seemed to be staying away too long. They came, he thought they were too few, and the work set out for the day too slight for his desires. He inquired for more workmen, they were promised, and in the course of the day they came. But these too were not enough for him to carry his plans out as rapidly as he wished. To do the work gave him no pleasure any longer. It should all be done. And for whom? The paths should be gravel, that Ottilie might walk pleasantly upon them. Seats should be made at every spot and corner, that Ottilie might rest on them. The new park-house was hurried forward. It should be finished for Ottilie's birthday. In all he thought, in all he did, there was no more moderation. The sense of loving and of being loved urged him out into the unlimited. How changed was now to him the look of all the rooms, their furniture and their decorations. He did not feel as if he was in his own house any more. Ottilie's presence absorbed everything. He was utterly lost in her. No other thought ever rose before him. No conscience disturbed him. Every restraint which had been laid upon his nature burst loose, his whole being centred upon Ottilie. This impetuosity of passion did not escape the captain, who longed, if he could, to prevent its evil consequences. All those plans, which were now being hurried on with this immoderate speed, had been drawn out and calculated for a long, quiet, easy execution. The sale of the farm had been completed. The first instalment had been paid. Charlotte, according to the arrangement, had taken possession of it. But the very first week after, she found it more than usually necessary to exercise patience and resolution, and to keep her eye on what was being done. In the present hasty style of proceeding, the money which had been set apart for the purpose would not go far. Much had been begun, and much yet remained to be done. How could the captain leave Charlotte in such a situation? They consulted together, and agreed that it would be better that they themselves should hurry on the works, and for this purpose employ money which could be made good again, 
at the period fixed for the discharge of the second instalment of what was to be paid for the farm it could be done almost without loss they would have a freer hand everything would progress simultaneously there were labourers enough at hand and they could get more accomplished at once and arrive swiftly and surely at their aim edward gladly gave his consent to a plan which so entirely coincided with his own views during this time charlotte persisted with all her heart in what she had determined for herself and her friends stood by her with a like purpose manfully this very circumstance however produced a greater intimacy between them they spoke openly to one another of edward's passion and consulted what had better be done charlotte kept utterly more about herself watching her narrowly and the more she understood her own heart the deeper she was able to penetrate into the heart of the poor girl she saw no help for it except in sending her away it now appeared a happy thing to her that luciana had gained such high honours at the school for her great-aunt as soon as she heard of it desired to take her entirely to herself to keep her with her and bring her out into the world ottilie could therefore return thither the captain would leave them well provided for and everything would be as it had been a few months before indeed in many respects better her own position in edward's affection charlotte thought she could soon recover and she settled it all and laid it all out before herself so sensibly that she only strengthened herself more completely in her delusion as if it were possible for them to return within their old limits as if a bond which had been violently broken could again be joined together as before in the meantime edward felt very deeply the hindrances which were thrown in his way he soon observed that they were keeping him and ottilie separate that they made it difficult for him to speak with her alone or even to approach her except in the presence of others and while he was angry about this he was angry at many things besides if he caught an opportunity for a few hasty words with ottilie it was not only to assure her of his love but to complain of his wife and of the captain he never felt that with his own irrational haste he was on the way to exhaust the cash-box he found bitter fault with them because in the execution of the work they were not keeping to the first agreement and yet he had been himself a consenting party to the second indeed it was he who had occasioned it and made it necessary hatred is a partisan but love is even more so ottilie also estranged herself from charlotte and the captain as edward was complaining one day to ottilie of the latter saying that he was not treating him like a friend or under the circumstances acting quite uprightly she answered unthinkingly i have once or twice had a painful feeling that he was not quite honest with you i heard him say once to charlotte if edward would but spare us that eternal flute of his he can make nothing of it and it is too disagreeable to listen to him you may imagine how it hurt me when i like accompanying you so much she had scarcely uttered the words when her conscience whispered to her that she had much better have been silent however the thing was said edward's features worked violently never had anything stung him more he was touched on his tenderest point it was his amusement he followed it like a child he never made the slightest pretensions what gave him pleasure should be treated with forbearance by his friends he never thought how intolerable it is for a third person to have his ears lacerated by an unsuccessful talent he was indignant he was hurt in a way which he could not forgive he felt himself discharged from all obligations the necessity of being with ottilie of seeing her whispering to her exchanging his confidence with her increased with every day he determined to write to her and ask her to carry on a secret correspondence with him the strip of paper on which he had laconically enough made his request lay on his writing-table and was swept off by a draught of wind as his valet entered to dress his hair the latter was in the habit of trying the heat of the iron by picking up any scraps of paper which might be lying about 
This time his hand fell on the billet. He twisted it up hastily, and it was burnt. Edward, observing the mistake, snatched it out of his hand. After the man was gone, he sat himself down to write it over again. The second time it would not run so readily off his pen. It gave him a little uneasiness. He hesitated. But he got over it. He squeezed the paper into Ottilie's hand the first moment he was able to approach her. Ottilie answered him immediately. He put the note unread in his waistcoat pocket, which, being made short in the fashion of the time, was shallow, and did not hold it as it ought. It worked out and fell without his observing it on the ground. Charlotte saw it, picked it up, and after giving a hasty glance at it, reached it to him. Here is something in your handwriting, she said, which you may be sorry to lose. He was confounded. Is she dissembling, he thought to himself. Does she know what is in the note? Or is she deceived by the resemblance of the hand? He hoped, he believed the latter. He was warned, doubly warned. But those strange accidents, through which our higher intelligence seems to be speaking to us, his passion was not able to interpret. Rather, as he went further and further on, he felt the restraint under which his friend and his wife seemed to be holding him the more intolerable. His pleasure in their society was gone. His heart was closed against them, and though he was obliged to endure their society, he could not succeed in rediscovering or reanimating within his heart anything of his old affection for them. The silent reproaches which he was forced to make to himself about it were disagreeable to him. He tried to help himself with a kind of humour which, however, being without love, was also without its usual grace. Over all such trials Charlotte found assistance to rise in her own inward feelings. She knew her own determination. Her own affection, fair and noble as it was, she would utterly renounce. And sorely she longed to go to the assistance of the other two. Separation, she knew well, would not alone suffice to heal so deep a wound. She resolved that she would speak openly about it to Ottilie herself. But she could not do it. The recollection of her own weakness stood in her way. She thought she could talk generally to her about the sort of thing. But general expressions about the sort of thing fitted her own case equally well, and she could not bear to touch it. Every hint which she would give Ottilie recoiled back on her own heart. She would warn, and she was obliged to feel that she might herself still be in need of warning. She contented herself, therefore, with silently keeping the lovers more apart, and by this gained nothing. The slight hints which frequently escaped her had no effect upon Ottilie, for Ottilie had been assured by Edward that Charlotte was devoted to the captain, that Charlotte herself wished for a separation, and he was at this moment considering the readiest means by which it could be brought about. Ottilie, led by the sense of her own innocence along the road to the happiness for which she longed, only lived for Edward, strengthened by her love for him in all good, more light and happy in her work for his sake, and more frank and open towards others, she found herself in a heaven upon earth, so altogether, each in his or her own fashion, reflecting or unreflecting, they continued on the routine of their lives. All seemed to go its ordinary way as, in monstrous cases, when everything is at stake, men will still live on, as if it were all nothing. End of chapter 13